Rabbi Elchanan Pupko is a Rebbe at the Park East Day School. He's a prolific writer, and he is the president of Eitan, a group that supports American Israelis. And he is here today to discuss Ukraine. Rabbi Elchanan, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So let me ask you, you protested, I believe, this week in front of the Russian mission in New York City. Essentially, you're making the point that as Jews, look at what we went through, what our grandparents went through in the Holocaust. How can we stand by and watch any innocent Ukrainians suffer going through just horrific, I mean, unspeakable atrocities? So tell us your thoughts about all of that. Yeah, so there's no question that the uh, history of Jews in Ukraine goes a long way back. I believe uh, Dr. Henry Abramson did a really beautiful piece on that, speaking about that the fact that there have definitely been very difficult points in the history of the Jewish people and the Ukrainian people, whether it's Bogdan Khmelnytsky, pogroms in the late 1800s, up to the collaboration of Ukrainians with Nazis during the Holocaust. No one's denying that. However, at the same time, you know, our history with the Russians hasn't been great either. So uh, what's history is history. And what's important to focus on is now the, the moral obligation not to stand silently as you see the Russians uh, really doing a, a, whole, a wholesale slaughter massacre of innocent civilians and uh, the Ukrainian people are being besieged by a country that's, you know, more than 12 times their size. And it's not just a threat to Ukraine, it's a threat to all democracies. Uh, and so the assault against Ukrainian civilians, against Ukraine as a country, and against essentially uh, Western democracies is one something we have to speak out against, and we can't let the Russians get away with it. They got away with too much. Uh, in 2014, they helped kill a half a million Syrians. Uh, they've bombed Grozny. They, they, they've gotten away with too much and with too little of protest. So it's time for us to stand up and, and say, you know, enough is enough. I And I completely hear that. And like you say, I mean, what they've gotten away with time and again, I'm glad you brought up the Syrians because that certainly did get a lot of attention, but not nearly the same kind of attention that what's happening is now, which boggles the mind because, I mean, like you said, probably more than half a million. Half a million is like what's on record. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if it was three, four times that amount. I mean, mm-hmm. chemical warfare, we... We know some of it. Um, but what, what would you say if somebody responds and says, look, yeah, the Ukrainians right now have a severe humanitarian crisis, but Syria, you know, you have the Uyghurs in China. I mean, you, you know, there were there were so many places where, you know, genocide ha- is rampant or has been rampant. So why specifically Ukraine? Uh, good question. So uh, first of all, one quote, I, I don't quote the Satmar Rebbe often, but uh, I will now. And he said that, uh, you know, when our parents and grandparents were in Europe during the Holocaust, they always asked, you know, where are American Jews? And so now that we, many of us are grandchildren of those people who went through the Holocaust, are in a similar position, we have no right to stand by silently. I think that's that's one thing. The other thing is, the visibility, the amount of information we're seeing is very, very difficult to turn a blind eye to. I mean, it, it, the, the, the amount of information we're seeing, the images, it's something that, uh, you know, there's a big difference between something happening right in front of your eyes and something that you're not seeing. And unfortunately, in the past, we haven't been as much informed uh, about what Russia was doing, specifically in Syria, right? You, you said, oh, well, it's ISIS, it's Assad, or whatever it is. But the fact is, we now know Russia was involved in many of those killings. And so now that we see and know it, uh, we just can't remain silent. It's, it's not an option. 
It's a very good point. And like you say, others have made the point that this is the first war that we're really seeing play out in real time on social media. It, it, it's yeah. mind-boggling yeah. night after night, day after day, seeing these uh, um, you know, incredible, incredible, and very tragic sometimes these scenes play out. Um, and some of the credit, I believe, goes to Elon Musk, interestingly, because he set up that Starlink yeah. thing. And you know, so, so many more people are able to use their smartphones and connect to the internet who wouldn't have been able to. So pretty kind of fascinating little side story there. Uh, let me ask you this. You alluded to this before. There's a belief that some people hold, which is the Ukrainians were vicious against the Jews in the Holocaust for many decades prior to the Holocaust. And, uh, you know, they, and they clearly were. So some people say, well, they deserve it. They deserve what's happening now. How do you respond to that? Well, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, look, I, I'm someone who doesn't buy any products from Germany. I don't stop over in Germany. And so, you know, it, it, I, I'm definitely not a person who forgets the history. Uh, at the same time, you have to realize that there's a new generation there. And while you have the possibility, look, I personally, when all the people went to Uman and Luzhensk and whatever, I didn't go because of a lot of the history. Uh, but at the same time, you can't look at young people who are in their 20s and thir their 30s. People really did nothing wrong uh, getting killed, you know, seeing the children displaced. By the way, we talk about the numbers of people killed. You have, uh, I believe, 7 million people displaced. That's, uh, you know, people who are, are innocent people. And, uh, you know, we can have our discussions about their history after the war. But the fact is you have uh, millions of people displaced. By the way, among them are 60,000 to 200,000 Jews living in Ukraine. Uh, so we have also a special responsibility to them. Uh, you had the Holocaust survivor who survived three concentration camps living in Kharkov who was killed by Russian shelling. Uh, so th th there's a lot fr from our side that, uh, you know, especially again to the Jews there, but also to the, you know, again, the, the people living there are innocent. They have a troubled history, but it, you can't look at all that and say, well, you know, th they, they were bad to us 77 years ago. And look, I don't know how any human being could look at some of these scenes, look at some of these images, look at literally children. I mean, the, you know, bombing maternity wards and, you know, people being massacred as Bucha, where, I mean, literally hundreds of people just t hands tied behind their back. It's unthinkable. I mean, anyone can look at that and not feel a sense of compassion. I would completely agree. I am wondering, you did mention, I think on Twitter, you mentioned, I'm curious what you want the United States to do. And I, by the way, I, I, I'll get to this. I believe that, that President Biden and the U.S. could do a lot more without engaging directly. But you mentioned expelling Russian diplomats. You mentioned tougher sanctions. So do you really think those ideas would accomplish a lot? And, you know, how far would you expect the United States or, or, or the West to go? Uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned history. So I think there's a piece of history here that we're forgetting. And that is the Soviet involvement in the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War, where the Soviets essentially flooded the Middle East with weaponry to kill the Jewish people. Uh, that was the plan. That's what they were doing. They were supplying MiGs. They were supplying tanks. And Absolutely. So I, 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 Egypt was completely... 
Yeah, so supported by a Soviet project. Correct. So I think it's absolutely reasonable to say the United States should flood uh, Ukraine with amounts of weapons that will make the humiliation and the, the, the loss of this war by Russia even greater and faster. Uh, I think that we can be sending more weapons. Obviously, uh, the U.S. is already sending a lot of anti-tanks, but this idea of the West feeling uh, afraid of Putin. Well, we can only send guns, helmets, we can only send anti-tanks. Uh, no, I think that Putin has thrived and survived on intimidation. And so we need to look him in the eye and say, you know what, uh, we're just sending everything there. And uh, uh, just a fun fact is that in the Yom Kippur War, uh, Nixon was advised by Henry Kissinger not to send a lot of weapons to Israel on the Yom Kippur War when Israel was attacked. And Nixon asked, how many uh, transport airplanes do does the whole United States Army have? Meaning transport airplanes that can carry tanks. And he was wow. told 21. And he said, I want you to take every single one of those airplanes, fill it with tanks, and send it to Israel. And so, you know, I think what we need here is also a similar operation, bring to a humiliating and crushing defense of Vladimir Putin and look him in the eye and tell him you're not afraid. Uh, that's my uh, opinion. You know, uh, obviously the government is aware of m much more complex facts, but I, I think we just need to, to, to bring this bullying to a stop. We've seen what happens in history when, when you know, crazy tyrants are able to just do what they want and everyone's afraid of them. No, I agree. And we tiptoe around, like it, it is easy for you and me to sit here and say that, but we tiptoe around. It, it clearly, historically, it makes them feel a sense of strength, not weakness. And more confident that they can kind of step on everyone. I think Biden blew a huge opportunity because I think that if Putin had been embarrassed here, if, the, you know, they, they totally overrated the Russian army. They totally underrated. I mean, that everybody agrees, the uh, the Ukrainian people. And they figured out there's going to be a cakewalk. They literally offered Zelensky. They said, here, come and escape before this invasion started. Like, why? Are you? And he said, what are you kidding? He said, no, I don't want to ride. You know, give me weapons. And so I think that if they embarrassed Putin and they had really loaded up Ukraine and if they had cut off uh, energy supplies from Russia and just said, we're not buying any more energy until this thing is over, uh, they could have almost turned it into a proxy war. It could have been like like what Reagan did to the Soviets in the 80s. I mean, you could have literally brought down Putin. So and I and I just you have to wonder and it's only speculation if it were Trump, you know, if Trump would have had a very, very different response, which he says he would have. And he certainly that's how he operated. Well, I, I think that here you're getting into politics. Look, I, I think his relationship with Vladimir Putin is <laughs> is uh, is problematic at the least. I think he. Uh, some people said if he would have been in power, he probably would be sending weapons to the Russians. Uh, so I don't know th that he would have been a better person. I think Biden did a phenomenal job in terms of uniting the coalition. By the way, it's interesting. Uh, a country to focus on a lot here is Germany. Uh, who, who acted in a very shameful way. They didn't want to bring sanctions. They wanted to keep buying uh, Russian oil. And I think the ability of this administration to bring together all the allies uh, and to sort of force a united front where people are closing Russian banks, etc., I think that was important. But uh, look, it, 
Vladimir Putin has been humiliated. You know, uh, it, there's no question about that. He's mobilizing tanks that he had in Siberia, in eastern Russia. He's 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 schlepping his army. He's scrambling, uh, as uh, Secretary Blinken said. For every single tank, Russian tank, there are uh, ten anti-tank launchers. So uh, th- th- there's no way he can even hold on to what he has now, which is not a huge amount. Uh, and so he's been humiliated, but. You know, like we both agree, he he needs to be humiliated much further. We need to expel Russian diplomats, which is being done now by a lot of European countries. And and we just need to bring his regime to their knees. Something you mentioned earlier. Did you say you don't do stopovers in Germany? That's correct. I don't fly through Germany. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we, we both uh, learned in, in the same yeshiva, and I remember that uh, someone once asked uh, Rabbi Kalman Epstein about buying a Mercedes. What's the logic of not buying a Mercedes? And uh, he, 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 he didn't answer him with logic. He said, look, if someone would kill your mother, would you buy a car from them? Uh, and so it's not... It's not so much logic as much as, you know, I, you know, I can't go to Germany, I can't go to Poland, I can't go to Ukraine. Again, there's a new generation there, whatever it is, I, I just can't set foot in those places. Just a, yeah, like you said, certain human, almost human instinct. I mean, uh, if you don't have that instinct, then you have to sort of question, which is a good point. Uh, separate but related topic here. I know you've been in contact with organizations that have been literally involved in rescuing Jews in Ukraine in the trenches. I mean, I, I believe you told me Hatzala, Ukraine. I'm not sure about Yad Yisrael, which has been very instrumental. Uh, can you tell us some of your understanding, what you've uh, g- you know, gained and gathered in terms of what's going on? First of all, the last few weeks, obviously there were many issues with men not being allowed out and they had to use all sorts of different kind of strategies uh, under the radar mm-hmm. to, to, to get men out and families out. And just in general, I mean, are there still people trapped there to your knowledge and uh, sitting there in a war zone, you know, in danger? So that's a very good question. I think what this conflict and, and this war highlighted is the absolute necessity of partnerships in the Jewish community. Uh, you know, you have Chabad, you have the Jewish Agency, you have Yad Yisrael, you have Hatzalah, and the incredible cooperation between the state of Israel, uh, organizations that are usually from organizations that you don't necessarily always see in, in cooperation, uh, I think that has been extremely instrumental in helping people that are in very imperiled situations. So there's been a lot of private sector, there's been a lot of tzedakah, a lot of chesed organizations, but there's also been the uh, the, the logistics that you know, no one can, it doesn't matter how much money you have, no one can pull off what the state of Israel has done in terms of having people of the foreign ministry on the border, both in Poland, Romania, and just sitting there constantly with, whether it's passports or whatever it is that people need, uh, taking people in and 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 having a place to take them to. You, you know, as much as chesed organizations you have, um, it's interesting. I spoke to a large Jewish organization two weeks before the war broke out, and I said, look, there's going to be all these refugees that I, I actually did think that this is going to happen. Uh, and and what are we doing? And they told me, you know what, everything that has to do with refugees and war, we don't touch. That's all for the state of Israel. Uh, now, I don't know wow. why, but I, that's something that, you know, you can have, again, you can have all the resources you want. The United States took seven Ukrainian refugees in the first month. Uh, that's not something you can work with. 
Yeah, so I think it highlights the, the, the need and the power of partnerships between uh, the state of Israel and Chesed organizations. And, and, and that's been really successful. It is amazing when you talk about like the unity. I mean, you, there's so many times we've seen where politics or bureaucracy will get in the way. And I don't know if we know all the details on the ground, but what they've been able to do is so remarkable. It, just the things we know about that you're right. There's certainly an incredible, incredible like octus. I don't know if you're in contact with anybody recently. I, like, I'm curious over the last couple of weeks. I, I know somebody that I was in touch with who visited Ukraine um, told me that you know a lot of the people who needed to get out have gotten out. And there are many, from what I understand, many, possibly thousands of Jews still in Ukraine, but they want to be there. They kind of f- found areas that they feel are relatively safe. But uh, I would still imagine that there's still a situation there, a very perilous situation. Yes, I'll give you an example, actually, something that I do know. So um, you have, for example, the orphanage. A lot of people spoke about the orphanage of Odessa. Uh, There's a a Tikva orphanage. Uh, There's one other orphanage. They went to Romania. Now, since Ukraine is still an existing state, which, like you said, some people thought would not happen and thought some people thought it would be run over in two, three days, uh, they are sort of in an extension of Ukraine, and they're not allowed to be taken out. Uh, so that means you have 4,000 kids, kids, you know, up to teenagers, uh, who are not allowed to leave Romania, and they are not home in Ukraine. And so someone needs to take care of those people. Uh, so they are stuck there, and they are in need of constant support because, you know, their building isn't there, their food isn't there. Uh, and I was I not aware you, of this. That's wow. Yeah. Uh, so they're not, and by the way, some of them were up for adoption and they can't leave because it's sort of a funny legal situation because Romania is now sort of an extension of Ukraine for all legal matters. So if you have a minor who is in Romania, they're not allowed to leave without permission of the Ukrainian, whatever it is, wow. ministry, foreign ministry. So they're in Romania, which is in a way an extension of Ukraine, and they can't leave. So they're stuck. Uh, and then you have other people who are displaced. Uh, there are people in Poland who, who are you know, still figuring out where they're going. Uh, a lot of people want to know if they can go back home, and they're just waiting it out. Because uh, thankfully, most of the country is, is liberated. Uh, and so, yes, there are definitely many thousands of people that are stuck. There are people that are stuck in Poland. There are people that are stuck in Romania. There are people who are displaced within uh, Ukraine. You have people living in Odessa. I saw a story of someone from Israel who went to do a bris there. Can you imagine? Uh, he went, the mysterious nefesh from Israel, wow. waited at the border. They thought he's a spy. He waited at the border for five hours. And uh, eventually he got to Odessa to do a bris, but Odessa is a city that still is besieged and the Russians hope to take it. Uh, and so there are definitely people that are, are, are in, in war zones and, uh, and, and need our help. Unbelievable. And I'm just, that story you said about the Romanian, the orphans that are stuck in Romania, the Odessa orphanage, because that Odessa orphanage got a lot of attention. They had a very kind of miraculous and harrowing escape um, mm-hmm. I believe it was over Shabbos that the bus was driving like that first week. There was mm-hmm. a rabbi who was in charge of that Odessa uh, orphanage. And, the Tikva uh, orphanage, of, yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. And uh, are you saying all those orphans are now stranded in, in Romania? I was not even aware of that. Well, there's, they're, they're not stranded, thankfully. They're with their staff. Right. And, right. And, but uh, yeah, they're stuck in Romania and, and they, they can't legally go can't go anywhere. I wonder. Uh, interesting. So even if they have a cousin, a relative, they can't go for three weeks to their cousin in Israel because... 
you know, they're minors and uh, they can't just pick up and leave. And so that's 4,000 people. Uh, and, you know, it's 4,000 who need breakfast, lunch, and supper. And, uh, it, 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 you know, it's people who are stuck in their, I don't know when the situation in Odessa will resolve itself and when it's going to be safe again and what's going to be left of Odessa by the time they get back to it. Uh, but they are stranded. Rabbi Alcalan Popko, this is truly fascinating. You, I follow a lot of your work. I read a lot of your articles. Thank and you, you always have... I, you know, something very substantive, very insightful to say. Not, I'm not trying to pander to you, but uh, I always you. really enjoyed it. And this was really very much uh, as, as expected, you know, very, very, very fascinating. Do you have any, like, final thoughts, anything we could plug? <laughs> uh, look, I think it, it just highlights, like like we said before, the, the, the need for achdos, the need for different organizations who would never work with each other necessarily uh, to, to be in contact uh, we, we all read the stories about World War II, about the Holocaust. Uh, I'll give you one example is a story of, there's a very famous safer called Yoinas Elam. And I remember hearing also from Kalman Epstein, the reason he got, he, he died in the Holocaust. He was a bocher in the Mir Yeshiva. The reason he didn't get out with the Mir is that uh, originally he was scheduled to go to the consulate to get his passport on Thursday. He pushed it off a bit. By Sunday, it was closed and he couldn't get his papers. Uh, and I think what we know is that when war happens, everything changes within seconds and you can't expect anything to be the way you thought. And it highlights the need to have a, a structure of communication where everyone knows who the person is, where, where someone in Chabad has the, the number of Hatzalah and someone in Hatzalah has the number of someone in Israel's foreign ministry. And from my work in the past two years, what I've seen more than anything is that you need to have those contacts. You need to have the people uh, communicating with each other. You need to be ready for a moment of emergency because when it happens, it's everything happens really, really fast. So uh, it highlights the need for more uh, cross-sectional achdos, meaning, you know, just people being in touch, knowing who to reach, knowing who exists, and uh, responding to such crises. Rahman we shouldn't have any of them, but that's a preparedness we need to have. Yeah, excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Rabbi Khanan Pupko, Rebbe at Parkes Day School, prolific writer, and much, much more. Thank you. We'll hopefully do this again soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks okay. a lot.